You are listening to a Monash Christian Union Bible Talk. We encourage you to share this with friends and family, but ask that you do not edit it without the permission of the owners. This Bible Talk is designed to supplement belonging to a local church with its teaching and community, not to replace it. We pray this talk helps you love Jesus and become more like him. When Jacob learned that there was grain in Egypt, he said to his sons, Why do you just keep looking at each other? He continued, I've heard that there is grain in Egypt. Go down there and buy some for us so that we may live and not die. Then ten of Joseph's brothers went down to buy grain from Egypt. But Jacob did not send Benjamin, Joseph's brother, with the others, because he was afraid that harm might come to him. So Israel's sons were among those who went to buy grain, for there was famine in the land of Canaan also. Now Joseph was the governor of the land, the person who sold grain to all its people. So when Joseph's brothers arrived, they bowed down to him with their faces to the ground. As soon as Joseph saw his brothers, he recognized them. But he pretended to be a stranger and spoke harshly to them. Where do you come from? he said. From the land of Canaan, they replied, to buy food. Although Joseph recognized his brothers, they did not recognize him. Then he remembered his dreams about them and said to them, You are spies! You have come to see where our land is unprotected! No, my lord, they answered. Your servants have come to buy food. We are all the sons of one man. Your servants are honest men, not spies. No, he said to them. You have come to see where our land is unprotected. But they replied, Your servants were twelve brothers, the sons of one man who lives in the land of Canaan. The youngest is now with our father, and one is no more. Joseph said to them, It is just as I told you, you are spies, and this is how you will be tested. As surely as Pharaoh lives, you will not leave this place unless your youngest brother comes here. Send one of your number to get your brother. The rest of you will be kept in prison, so that your words may be tested to see if you are telling the truth. If you are not, then as surely as Pharaoh lives, you are spies. And he put them all in custody for three days. On the third day, Joseph said to them, Do this and you will live, for I fear God. If you are honest men, let one of your brothers stay here in prison, while the rest of you go and take grain for your, back for your starving households. But you must bring your youngest brother to me, so that your words may be verified, and that you may not die. This they proceeded to do. They said to one another, Surely we are being punished because of our brother. We saw how distressed he was when he pleaded with us for his life, but we would not listen. That's why this distress has come on us. Reuben replied, Didn't I tell you not to sin against the boy? But you wouldn't listen. Now we must give an accounting for his blood. They did not realize that Joseph could understand them, since he was using an interpreter. He turned away from them and began to weep, but then came back and spoke to them again. He had Simeon taken from them and bound before their eyes. Joseph gave orders to fill their bags with grain, to put each man's silver back in his sack and to give them provisions for their journey. After this was done for them, they loaded their grain on their donkeys and left. At the place where they stopped for the night, one of them opened his sack to get feed for his donkey and he saw his silver in the mouth of his sack. My silver has been returned, he said to his brother. Here it is, in my sack. 
Their hearts sank, and they turned to each other trembling and said, What is this that God has done to us? Then they came to their father Jacob in the land of Canaan. They told him all that had happened to them. They said, The man who is lord over the land spoke harshly to us and treated us as though we were spying on the land. But we said to him, We are honest men, we are not spies. We were twelve brothers, sons of one father. One is no more, and the youngest is now with our father in Canaan. Then the man who is lord over the land said to us, This is how I will know whether you are honest men. Leave one of your brothers here with me, and take food for your starving households and go, but bring your youngest brother to me, so that I will know that you are not spies, but honest men. Then I will give your brother back to you, and you can trade in the land. As they were emptying their sacks, there in each man's sack was his pouch of silver. When they and their father saw the money pouches, they were frightened. Their father Jacob said to them, You have deprived me of my children. Joseph is no more, and Simeon is no more, and now you want to take Benjamin. Everything is against me. Then Reuben said to his father, You may put both of my sons to death if I do not bring him to you. Entrust him to my care, and I will bring him back. But Jacob said, My son will not go down there with you. His brother is dead, and now he is the only one left. If harm comes to him on the journey you are taking, you will bring my grey head down to the grave in sorrow. Now the famine was still severe in the land, so when they had eaten all the grain they had brought from Egypt, their father said to them, Go back and buy us a little more food. But Judah said to them, The man warned us solemnly, You will not see my face again unless your brother is with you. If you will send our brother along with us, we will go down and buy food for you. But if you will not send him, we will not go down, because the man said to us, You will not see my face again unless your brother is with you. Israel asked, Why did you bring this trouble on me by telling the man you had another brother? They replied, The man questioned us closely about ourselves and our family. Is your father still living? he asked us. Do you have another brother? We simply answered his questions. How are we to know, he would say, bring your brother down here? Then Judah said to Israel, his father, Send the boy along with me and we will go at once, so that we and you and our children may live and not die. I myself will guarantee his safety. You can hold me personally responsible for him. If I do not bring him back to you and set him here before you, I will bear the blame before you all my life. As it is, if we had not delayed, we could have gone and returned twice. Then their father Israel said to them, If it must be, then do this. Put some of the best products of the land in your bags and take them down to the man as a gift. A little balm and a little honey, some spices and myrrh, some pistachio nuts and almonds. Take double the amount of silver with you, for you must return the silver that was put back into the mouths of your sacks. Perhaps it was a mistake. Take your brother also, and go back to the man at once. And may God Almighty grant you mercy before the man, so that he will let your brother and Benjamin come back with you. As for me, if I am bereaved, I am bereaved. So the men took the gifts and doubled the amount of silver, and Benjamin also. They hurried down to Egypt and presented themselves to Joseph. 
When Joseph saw Benjamin with them, he said to the steward of his house, Take these men to my house, slaughter an animal, and prepare a meal. They are to eat with me at noon. The man did as Joseph told him, and took the men to Joseph's house. Now the men were frightened when they were taken to his house. They thought, We were brought here because of the silver that was put back into our sacks the first time. He wants to attack us and overpower us and seize us as slaves and take our donkeys. So they went up to Joseph's steward and spoke to him at the entrance to the house. We beg your pardon, our lord, they said. We came down here the first time to buy food. But at the place where we stopped for the night, we opened our sacks, and each of us found his silver, the exact weight, in the mouth of his sack. So we have brought it back with us. We have also brought additional silver with us to buy food. We don't know who put the silver in our sacks. It's all right, he said. Don't be afraid. Your God, the God of your father, has given you treasure in your sacks. I received your silver. Then he brought Simeon out to them. The steward took the men into Joseph's house, gave them water to wash their feet, and provided fodder for their donkeys. They prepared their gifts for Joseph's arrival at noon, because they had heard that they were going to eat there. When Joseph came home, they presented to him the gifts they had brought into the house, and they bowed down before him to the ground. He asked them how they were, and then he said, How is your aged father you told me about? Is he still living? They replied, Your servant, our father, is still alive and well. And they bowed down, prostrating themselves before him. And he looked about and saw his brother Benjamin, his own mother's son. He asked, Is this your youngest brother, the one you told me about? And he said, God be gracious to you, my son. Deeply moved at the sight of his brother, Joseph hurried out and looked for a place to weep. He went into his private room and wept there. After he had washed his face, he came out and controlling himself, he said, Serve the food. They served him by himself, the brothers by themselves, and the Egyptians who ate with him by themselves, because Egyptians could not eat with Hebrews, for that is detestable to Egyptians. The men had been seated before him in the order of their ages, from the firstborn to the youngest, and they looked at each other in astonishment. When portions were served to them from Joseph's table, Benjamin's portion was five times as much as anyone else's. So they feasted and drank freely with him. Hi, everyone. Um, it is wonderful to be back again, isn't it? Reading through the story, Genesis, reading through Joseph's narrative. And um, we've been talking about how Joseph um, is kind of a, a picture of God's salvation plan. And it looked a bit topsy-turvy, didn't it? The story started with um, Joseph having these wonderful dreams and then being betrayed and almost killed by his brothers and sold into slavery. And it gets worse. He goes and into slavery. He's accused falsely. He's put in jail. But we saw how God raised him up. That was all part of his plan. And that this is God's plan. And that's why the series is called According to Plan. I'd be thinking like that would be a better picture of what's going on. Um, Really, his, his great troubles are moving him to some sort of glorious, glorious thing. But now we get to the part of the story which is very, let's say, juicy. Joseph's brothers are going to meet him. His uh, wicked, murderous um, 
brothers are going to meet him. And now the tables have turned. He's not in a position of weakness anymore. He's in a position of strength. And they come from for crumbs, for food. What's he going to do? Um, and we are going to see him apply a series of tests, a series of tests. Um, but before we go on, um, we've, been, we've been thinking through this big question in the series. You know, what will the royal snake crushing seed look like, be like? How does Joseph, um, in his shadowy way, show us what the great royal snake crushing seed Jesus is like? And um, I, I just want to pause for a second because I think with Old Testament, especially narrative, um, it, it's kind of like this. It's kind of like a cord with lots of threads and um, they all come together in a beautiful way. Um, but we're going to just pull on one chord today, and that's the chord of blessing. Um, we're going to think about this story in light of blessing and how the seed responds to God's people. Uh, and to do that, we're going to need to rewind a little bit. Now, you remember from the earlier talks that we, we talked about how the seed was promised as a child of the woman Eve, that there will be a child that will come forward who will destroy God's great enemy, the snake. And maybe begin to reverse this awful curse that they're experiencing. But the seed continues. It continues in the children of Adam and Eve. And the seed along the way is blessed. And uh, the first one that's truly, richly blessed is a, a man called Abraham. Abraham. He receives a blessing from God, a promise that he will be a great nation. And that his family will be really great too. And this is something that we need to think about. We're going to be looking at Genesis 17. Uh, God promises Abraham and he says this, I will make you very fruitful. I will make nations of you and kings will come from you. I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants after you for the generations to come to be your God and the God of your descendants after you. The whole land of Canaan where you reside is as a foreigner. I will give as an everlasting possession to you and your descendants after you and I will be their God. Now, this promise is given to one man. And we see that. Lots of uh, words like, to, it's to you. It's, it's coming between me and you. And I'm going to give you the land. But it's also to his family, um, his descendants, the generations to come. And we see in this that the, the family of Abraham is going to be richly blessed. All of them. It looks like all the descendants are going to inherit the promise. They're going to receive the land, receive God's blessing. And now I, I think there's a question that we need to ask. If there's a seed that's going to come, who's going to make things right, what's his relationship with the rest of this super family, right? This is a chosen family, a blessed family. Are they just a great one amongst equals who are also great? What is the relationship of the seed with the super family. And so that big question that we have, we're going to kind of have a focus question today. What is what is what role possibly could the seed have amongst this blessed super family? I want you to keep that in mind as we read these tests that Joseph applies to his his wicked brothers. Well, to start with as we open the narrative, the super family is threatened. They're threatened. They they're in the land just like everyone else and there's a famine. You remember uh, Pharaoh's dreams? Pharaoh had these dreams of some cows and um, some crops some grains. And um, he had dreams that there would be seven years of abundance and seven years of famine so severe you wouldn't even remember the good times. And this blessed family of God is about to be wiped out. 
God's plan to save the nation, save the world through this family, looks like it's going to become undone. And so, let's read through the stories. And we're going to be going to two things. The first one is these two tests. The first one is the test that Joseph applies, um, where he reveals the guilt that his brothers have. And the second one is uh, testing very specifically about sacrifice and generosity, issues that they had when they sold him into slavery. So let's read together in chapter 42. So we, we open the story and we see that Jacob learned there was grain in Egypt and he said to his sons, why do you just keep looking at each other? He continued, I have heard that there's grain in Egypt. Go down there and buy some for us so that we may live and not die. Um, when I was preparing this talk, I contemplated just staring at you guys for about a minute and then, um, and then reading this verse. Can you imagine what it would be like? Like tumbleweeds going along. They're just, I don't know, just looking at each other, silent. He's like, what are you doing? <laughs> Go get some food. Um, yeah, it's a bit comical. But, um, but actually, if we rewind a little bit again, the fact that Jacob is willing to send his sons to Egypt is a big deal. It's a, it's a massive deal because in the promises that we just read to, Genesis, uh, to Abraham in Genesis 17, there was another one in 15 and God promised Abraham that he would bless his descendants, but kind of smuggled in there is this. Then the Lord said to him, know that for certain that for 400 years, your descendants will be strangers in a country, not their own, and that they will be enslaved and mistreated there. But I will punish the nation. They serve as slaves and after they'll come out with great possessions. Jacob is probably quite concerned about leaving the promised land because he knows as soon as that happened, it's going to activate this promise. They're going to be slaves for 100 years. And what we see in this story is almost like a, a double fulfillment of that. Um, one of the brothers is going to become a slave. They're going to come out rich. But ironically, because of Joseph's redemption, it, it's going to lead to their enslavement. God's promises is going to come to pass. So Jacob very reasonably is quite suspicious but he is starving. He's about to perish. His entire family is about to perish. And so he says, go, go down, go down to Egypt and get some grain. And so that's what they do. He sends his 10 sons to go down, down, descend to Egypt and get some grain. However, he leaves Benjamin at home. Why? Why? Well, he has lost Joseph, his favorite son, to his favorite wife, Rachel. And at this point in the story, Rachel has died and he is not willing to let Benjamin go. And so he keeps him at home and he sends his 10, I guess, less favorite sons down to go get some food. And they do. And they go down and they go to Joseph. That's insane. They go and meet the man. Remember the recap? They mocked him. They stripped him naked. They threw him into a deep waterless pit, bloodied and bruised, lifted him up only to sell him into slavery and covered it up. And now they go to Joseph, who is ostensibly the most powerful person in the whole world, begging for food. What is going to happen? What, what should Joseph do? Like, what would be fair? What would be fair? Should he chuck him in jail? I mean, he, because he was a slave, spent 13 years in jail. 
Should he rough them up a bit? Throw them down a well? Maybe he should sell them off. Well, what Joseph does, is is very strange, is he tests them in three ways. And uh, this week we're going to go through test number one and two. This is a bit of a two-parter. Next week we're going to go through test three. And he tests them with the intention of changing them, of transforming them. But it certainly doesn't seem that way at the start. What happens? Well, uh, Joseph sees his brothers come and they bow down before him. Wow, again, a partial fulfillment of the dream he had in chapter 37. They come and bow down before him. This is awesome. This is what he wanted. This is what was supposed to happen. And as they rise up, he remembers the dream he has. We read in verse 8, although Joseph recognized his brothers, reading from verse 8, they did not recognize him. Then he remembered his dreams about them and said to them, this is weird, you are spies. You have come to see where our land is unprotected. You're 10 foreign guys, clearly a little sus. You've come to raid this rich kingdom. And they go, no, we're not spies. And he presses again, you're spies. And they say, no, no, we, we're actually brothers, 10 brothers. I mean, they all have four different mums, but they, you know, we're four brothers, truly. And uh, we, we were 12, but one is at home. And, and what does it say? One is no more. One is no more. Wow. That's a pretty understated way to say what happens. There's a bit of an admission here. No remorse. Joseph responds. How? He throws him in jail. Three days. Throws him in jail. And he releases them and they come out. And he says, to prove that you are not spies, go back to your father and bring that young brother here so that I know that you are not spies. You're not here to, to ransack us. But there's a condition. I'm going to enslave one of your brothers, one of you, so that, uh, kind of, I guess, I don't know, like a weird down payment, lay-by, I don't know. You go bring him and bring him back, and then I'll release him. And uh, it's a test. It's a test to see, um, do they actually understand what they did to Joseph? And it works. It works. In this high-pressure environment, (laughs) they've gone down to get grain, and they've got to leave a brother behind in this foreign nation. They crack. They crack. And it elicits understanding. They recognize their guilt. And let, let's read. What do, they, what do they make of this? They see, see in verse 21. They say to one another as a response of Joseph's test, surely we are being punished because of our brother. That's Joseph. Look how sad this line is. We saw how distressed he was when he pleaded with us for his life. Screaming at the bottom of a pit. But we would not listen. And that's why this distress has come upon us. And Reuben continues in verse 22. Oh, didn't I tell you not to sin against the boy? But you wouldn't listen. Now we must give accounting for his blood. Just as uh, Cain killed Abel and was cursed and had to give an account for his blood. Now they stand condemned. They too need to give her an account for Joseph's blood. Their hands are stained with his blood. And uh, Joseph, very sneakily, 
the whole time is kind of like I don't know what he's doing. He's kind of listening in, like he knows I don't know what he, ancient Hebrew. He's learned Egyptian at this point. Wow, that's great. And he's just pretending to be an Egyptian guy, and they're speaking, and and he hears this. And this is why I think we can say like the testing is is benevolent. We'll get there. He hears this, and he weeps. He's moved by this. He's not angry. He's 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 moved by their confession. They've come to realize what they've done. And, and um, yeah, he walk, he goes aside and he cries deeply, uncontrollably. Comes back. He keeps his word. He um he, he binds Simeon. I wonder how that one went. <laughs> how do they choose? Um, yeah, it's not Gad, right? It's like Simeon. Um, yep, we're gonna bind him. And um, I, I, I just want to say, like, we've been talking about this idea of a cord, different threads. Here's another thread. I'm not going to talk to too much tonight, but I just, I just want you to appreciate it. I just want you to appreciate it. Talk about it in triplets. Dwell on it. As Simeon is an involuntary substitute. He comes in in the place of Benjamin, who's supposed to come. And uh, he's chucked in jail. He's chucked in jail. He doesn't want to be there. He's put in jail. And that first test has has happened but now Joseph applies a second test and it's a strange test because it's it's both a test but he's also blessing them um they've come to give grain I'll put that slide away um they've they've come to to buy grain and uh, they 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 pay with silver they pay with silver but Joseph decides I'm gonna give it back to them um they've come in their weakness to me they're starving and hungry and I'm going to give them food, free of charge. Not only that, I'll give their silver back to them. I'll richly bless them. Um, it's kind of like an excessive, lavish kindness that is totally undeserved. Totally undeserved. And each man gets silver. They sold Joseph, all of them together, for 20 pieces, but each man gets his silver. Oh, two ahead. Uh, well, how do they respond? Uh, they go home. And they're, they're walking back to their land. And one of them, it doesn't say who, opens their sack and finds the silver in it. And they're mortified. Why? Because it looks like they stole it, doesn't it? It looks like they've stolen silver from this harsh man who's in charge of everything. They go home to their father, Jacob, and they recount the whole story. We won't repeat it. And we see in verse 35 and 36 what happens as they're opening their sacks at home, all of them saw that each, in each man's sack there was his pouch of silver. Every single one of them had their silver returned. And when they, they and their father saw the many pouches, they were frightened. Um, their father Jacob said to them, well, again, he knows Simeon's gone. You have deprived him of children. Joseph is no more. Simeon is no more. And now you want to take Benjamin. Everything is against me. And then Reuben, jump the slide, steps up and he volunteers his sons. He volunteers his sons. He says, you may put, <laughs> I don't know how they feel about this. You may put both my sons to death if you do not bring him back to you. Entrust him to my care. That's Benjamin. I'll go back. We'll get Simeon. And um, I'll bring him back. I'll bring him back. Admittedly, precious to him. It's a sacrifice. Uh, but it, it's not him, is it? Um, it's his sons. And Jacob says a emphatic, no, um, my son, as in Benjamin, will not go down there with you. His brother is dead and he's the only one left, his mother's house. 
If harm comes to him on the journey you are taking, you will bring my gray head down to the grave in sorrow. Um, I wonder what his relationship with Simeon was like. <laughs> um, but yeah, they, um, they leave him there. And we go to chapter 43. And uh, commentators kind of suggest that there's about <laughs> two years between these journeys, right? Um, imagine what it would be like for Simeon, right? Like um, you, you go away and you're bound up and you're like, yeah, they're coming back. <laughs> and, um, you know, you don't have a watch. Uh, and so you see the sun rise and it sets and you're like, one, <laughs> two, and you're counting, it took us three weeks to get here. You know, they're definitely not going to eat all the food, forget me. You know, they're going to come back. They're going to come back. And then uh, days pass, 20 days, 30 days. You're like rocking in your cell. They're going to come back. They're going to come back. And uh, yeah, two years later, they haven't come back. And they're waiting. They, uh, they've eaten their food. And, um, and there's, a, there's a pause. There's a pause in there. How are they going to respond to this second test? Now, they've been given the silver. How is their integrity? How is their generosity? Are they going to respond by giving the gift back? By giving the silver back as they should? Are they going to trust that, they, that Benjamin is going to save their life? That they need to bring him with them to redeem their brother and to get more food? And in fact, will they sacrifice their lives by going to meet a harsh man for the sake of their family, for their wives and their children? And all the while, Simeon's in jail. We see in verse uh, 1 and 2 of 43, the famine was still severe. So when they'd eaten all the grain they'd brought from Egypt, their father said to them again, go back and buy us a little more food. He sends them again. And, um, and this is where Judah steps up. Do you remember that guy? Judah? The one who sold his brother. That was his plan into slavery. The one who slept with his daughter-in-law and tried to kill her. That guy? Remember, I, I, I said a few weeks ago, watch this guy. Watch his redemption arc. He's going to go from villain to hero. Here we start to see the start of a speech, a great speech, which is going to be uh, again repeated and maximized in chapter 44. Next week, we'll get to it. But he, he, he says this. He says, um, let me find it in verse 8. Um, he reminds his father, these are the conditions, remember? We can't just go back. We have to bring Benjamin if we want to get Simeon, if we want to get more food. And Judah says to his um, father Israel, and I just want to point out Israel is Jacob. They use those terms interchangeably. He says to Jacob, send the boy along with me and we will go at once so that we and you and our children may live and not die. If I, if I do not bring him back to you and set him there before you, I will bear the blame before you all my life. As it is, if we are not delayed, we could have gone and returned twice. Judah volunteers himself. And that's going to be developed even more in chapter 44. He says, I will bear the blame. Uh, take me. Just want to reflect on that. Cool. We'll let that one go. And so they do. But before they do, Jacob says, we got to pay this man back. And in verse 11, 14, he says, uh, if it must be, do this, put some of the best products of the land in your bags and take them down to the man as a gift. A little balm and a little honey, some spices and myrrh, some pistachio nuts, it's fancy, um, and almonds. Take double the amount of silver with you, twice as much. For you must return the silver that was put back into the mouths of your sacks. Perhaps it was a mistake. Take your brother, Benjamin, also, and go back to the man at once. 
And may God Almighty El Shaddai grant you mercy before the man so that he will let your other brother and Benjamin come back with you. As for me, if I am bereaved, I, I am bereaved. He's a lost. He's lost. There's nothing he can do. He's about to perish. What can he do? He is starving, helpless, and weak, in need of deliverance, in need of food. And so he sends his, uh, he sends his sons. And um, they go back. They go back down and they meet Joseph again. And yeah, do they pass the test? They do. They give him the, they give him the silver. They give him back twice as much. They give him all the gifts. Uh, and they pay back double. They sold Joseph for 20 pieces of silver, but they give it back to him and they give him extra gifts. And then we see what I think is possibly the most important verse. So pay attention. Look at your Bibles here. Verse 23 of chapter 43. Joseph says, keep your silver. Why? Your God, the God of your father, has given you treasure in your sacks. I received your silver. What he's saying is, I got the payment. Don't worry about it. That's yours. Your God has blessed you. Your God has blessed you. And so we're starting to see an answer to that question that we started with. How is God going to bless the super family? Well, it's actually going to be through one person, through his chosen ruler. He's going to bless the family richly. Uh, Simeon's released. <laughs> Don't get much detail. He's just let out. And Joseph meets the greatest gift of all. He meets his brother, Benjamin. He's really moved again. And um, the, the brothers have passed the test. And he goes and he weeps. He weeps. He's deeply moved. They have passed. And I think um, I've been reflecting on this. Um, don't, don't you get the sense that Joseph here in this, in this section of the narrative, he's certainly harsh. He's certainly harsh. But there's a sense where it's not capricious or out of control. Like he's trying to change them. He's trying to elicit true repentance from them. He's even giving them a chance to reverse the crimes they committed to him. I was thinking like of another time in scripture this happens. Um, do you remember that beautiful scene at the end of John's gospel where Peter has denied uh, the Lord Jesus three times? He said, that's going to happen. Peter said, no way. I will not deny you. I will not reject you. And he does three times. And at the end of the gospel, uh, Peter's eating some fish and the Lord Jesus comes to him and, and, and uh, presses him uncomfortably three times. Um, like, do you still love me? And Peter confesses again and again. And the third time he's, 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 he's quite distressed by it. But um, there's a sense, I think, that Jesus is, uh, is lovingly moving him to repent to change his ways and I, I think that's an image of what's going on here joseph here is trying to get his brothers to to change and be transformed and it's working his brothers have recognized their guilt they're willing to sacrifice much and they have integrity stuff they did not have at the start of this narrative of joseph did they in 37 and so the story ends with Joseph sitting them all down to dinner well, or lunch. They eat food. And he, he numbers them 1 to 11. Like um, he, he numbers them in their birth order. And like, again, they don't know who this is, right? They're wondering, they're, they're freaking out. Who is this guy? How does he know us? And how does he know our order? But they kind of let it go. And the food comes out. And, uh, and uh, they feast richly. And Benjamin, Benjamin, 
Joseph's brother, is given five times as much food, way more food than anyone could possibly eat. He's blessed richly. And uh, Joseph is setting their brothers up for their final test, which is going to come next week. How do they respond to the favoured one? Um, but uh, yeah, they, 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 let, they don't stress. They're really excited. Again, they're starving. They eat a banquet and they drink freely, joyfully. And uh, we started with the question, like, what role could the seed have amongst this blessed super family? And uh, we start with this story of uh, some people in a family sitting, staring at each other, starving in a land. And it ends with um, 11 men at a table feasting richly in the midst of famine because of Joseph, because of God's chosen ruler. And so I think what's happening in this is that God is using his uh, snake, royal snake crushing seed to, to save people from certain death, from famine, to bless them richly and to transform his people. That's what's, what, what Joseph is doing to the brothers. But there's something else, which is this, is that Joseph is setting up a pattern, a pattern for what the royal snake crushing seed will be like, which is the fact that he will not be a great amongst equals. He will be the only one, a champion redeemer, a single savior. Um, My pastor was preaching this week on a similar theme and he said this, he said, Jesus, who's the true royal snake-crushing seed, is not a great voice in a choir. He's a soloist. He sings by himself. And what we see here is a pattern of what it's going to be like. No one else can save this starving family. Only the royal snake-crushing seed can. Why? Well, in verse 23, because God chooses to bless them. How? through the royal snake-crushing seed alone, through his chosen ruler. They will sit over all the family, and it will not be a general goodness that comes out from the family. He, He alone will save, redeem, bless, transform them. And so I wonder if you've been thinking, well, look, how do I apply a story like this to my life, right? Um, There's a story about sacks and, and silver, and some people eating some food. How do I apply this to my life? Well, I think um, uh, narrative, isn't it? Like narrative is in- intuitively instructive, right? We see a hero. Uh, I don't know, like say Lord of the Rings, you see who's Frodo Baggins and he, he rises to the occasion when everyone else is, um, is scared and he's a tiny little guy. And we kind of realize that we're supposed to emulate him in some way, right? Um, courage in, in spite of great opposition. I think um, it's easy to relate to Old Testament characters that way. We, we go, wow, the hero is wonderful. I want to be like the hero. But I think it's really helpful for us to clarify a relationship with Old Testament characters. And so when I ask the question, like, how do I apply this to my life? Um, I'd be thinking about this question and how it would be answered if we weren't seeing it in light of Jesus, right? We've been talking about how the whole series in Genesis is pointing to Jesus. What would it be like to just look at this story, remove Jesus for a second, and just how, how should we apply this? And so I looked at a website from some Jewish people. You know, they, 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 they hold to this. Um, and um, this is a, a website that's uh, very Torah-affirming, um, conservative, ultra-Orthodox Jews. They're not like liberal progressive. Uh, a massive group in America, they're not some fringe group. And this is what they think the story is. Whoop. 
that's the point. Um, we're going to imitate the hero and identify with ordinary. We'll come back to that. Is they, they see this, that Joseph's story is a lesson in forgiveness. That's what it's about. That's what the narrative is about. I want to highlight to you, they say that it shows you the proper attitude towards difficulty and misfortune and all the things that Joseph remembers helps him to forgive his brothers, repay animosity with benevolence. Sheer moral renovation. That's what it's about. Forgive. Don't be angry. And then they link you to an article on Anger Management 101. <laughs> and you can click that. It's, um, it's not that helpful. Yeah. And why? Why is it not helpful to our Jewish brothers, right? And sisters. Why, why is that not helpful? Well, it's particularly unhelpful because that's not really hope, is it? It's just moral renovation. Imagine if the hope for you to get through life and its difficulties is be better. How is that working out for you? Imagine if there was no redeemer that had come. That's what they believe. They're waiting for him. That the, the goal in life right now, the way to get through is just do better. If that's what it means, if that's what Joseph's narrative is all about, we're stuffed. Because none of us can keep that. None of us can daily forgive and not be angry. In fact, this buries us further. And so, jump the gun. Nope, let's go back. When we read Old Testament, it is helpful for us to, sure, imitate the hero. That's just natural how we read narrative. But identify with the ordinary people in the story. The weak, the helpless, the ones that the hero helps. Uh, why? Is it just because I'm a pessimist? No. Because at the first level, like this story, this narrative we read, that was actually the main point. Only the Redeemer can save the family. They can't do it themselves. But at a second level, it puts us in a position to, to thank, to appreciate, and to understand what the hero has done for God's people, what the seed does for God's people. If you identify yourself with a hero, you'll think that you can save yourself and others around you. But if you identify yourself with the ordinary people in the story, you recognize your desperate need, your desperate need for a royal snake crushing seed. Um, don't identify yourself with the hero. Imitate them. Thank God for them and what they do for God's people. But identify yourself with ordinary. Why? Because I was thinking it'd be great for you to walk out of this talk today and think, I would like to be less angry. I would to be more forgiving like Joseph. That, that would be great. You know, that'd be good. But you know what? It is far more critical for you to recognize that you are starving helpless, weak, wretched, vile, in need of a redeemer, in need of someone who can save you. You have a desperate need for the seed, just like the brothers did. So how do you, how do you apply a passage like this? Sorry, skipping ahead. Is to remember your need for a champion redeemer. And the Bible will tell you this, that friends here, um, you, just like the brothers in this story, have betrayed God. You've betrayed God. You've rejected his rule. And you, you, you are in trouble because of that. It's a bad situation. You have betrayed God. 
and you ought to be punished, just like the brothers. And you need what you desperately need, what you desperately need, and I need, and all of us need, is reconciliation with this God. And not like a horizontal reconciliation you have with your friends, where you kind of, you know, you, you do something wrong to your friends and it, you, you kind of make peace. We're talking about a, a significant, egregious error, a vertical, massive, massive reconciliation. Just like in this story, some peasant farmers have wronged the prince. It's that level of significance. And, and you desperately need recognition. Reconciliation with God. That's what this, this book tells you. That's what the Bible tells you. And the good news, the good news is that you have a champion redeemer. That Jesus takes your place as a substitute. He pays the price for your rejection, your sin, your rebellion against God. And you previously were a slave, but he buys you out of it by by account of his death, he takes the punishment of the criminal so that you can be reconciled with God. And only he can do it. He alone. You can't do it with him. It's just him. And if you come to him, he will save, bless, transform. He'll care for you. He'll care for you. And we see even in this story that when the seed is betrayed, he still blesses. Why? Well, I guess it's because it's God's plan of salvation, isn't it? That even a rejected, betrayed king is able to still bless the people who come to him in repentance. So don't fear. Don't fear to come to the seed, to Jesus. Trust him. I I mean, who else can you turn to? You can come to him and he will save, bless, transform you and he will replenish your starving soul uh, and he'll do so lavishly. Um, As we end today, uh, I want you to imagine um, you're kind of walking into an art gallery and um, the name of this art gallery is called Images of the Gospel. Images of the Gospel. And you see a bunch of paintings, right? And uh, you walk in and you kind of, you see this big painting and um, you focus in on the painting, and what, what, what do you see? You see a dry, arid desert. Sand, sun scorching, and you see that there are cows that are anemic and dying, and grains that are wilting and dead. This is a famine. And you look closely, and, and, you, and you look in the middle of the, of the painting is a house. There's a house and it's, it's cross-sectional so you can see into the house. And in that house are 11 men sitting at a table. You can tell they're hungry because they're skinny, skin to the bones, dressed in rags. But you look and they're sitting at a table and they're feasting. They're laughing and they're drinking joyfully because they're sitting at a royal table, a banquet prepared for them by the prince. And we know from this story that it was a man that they betrayed and attempted to kill. And that picture, you know, as you walk away, you may reflect, look, well, how do I feel about that? That picture, friends, is the life of a Christian. You've come to the king who was 
betrayed by us all, we killed, who rose to life, and who offers a seat at his table, deliverance from death and blessing from the king. Totally undeserved and almost um, offensively absurd that like these poor peasants are able to sit at the table of a prince who they betrayed. And they're blessed by him. Um, as you walk away from that picture and this, this, this story, I wonder how you feel about that. I wonder how you feel about that picture. Um, may I suggest to you a feeling of unrestrained joy. Unrestrained joy. And this is my encouragement to you, Monash University Christian Union students. You have got to tell your friends about that table. Share with them the great joy that you have, the confidence you have, that you've been delivered from death and blessed by the King, and invite them to come sit with you. Praise God. Thank you for listening to this Monash Christian Union Bible Talk. We long to see everyone at Monash University know a disciple-making disciple of Jesus Christ. If you have been blessed by this ministry and would love to support Monash Christian Union, you can do so via the link in the podcast description.